The Things We All Carry is a podcast about first responders and their stories surrounding trauma on the job. The intention of this podcast is to raise awareness and share meaningful conversation around a subject often viewed as taboo or simply ignored. Be aware this content may be graphic and it is real. It may not be suitable for children or adults triggered by this subject matter. Welcome back to The Things We All Carry. This weekend was a tough weekend. Um, I had my mom's celebration of life this weekend. And he, if you thought the death was finality, the celebration of life is, is another piece of that finality, I believe. And that's the way it felt to me. And not only just a finality, but it also felt like it was kind of the last piece of it all. Um, it was a chance to say goodbye in a public setting with friends and family and friends of friends and friends of family. And it wasn't easy. It was, uh, it was overwhelming at times, but it also signaled that at least it signaled in my head kind of a, a, a time to rebuild now, to look to the future and move forward. I'm never going to leave her behind. Obviously that doesn't make sense, but for me, it's time to, okay, this, this tumultuous time, this, this time period that really, I don't, I haven't talked about much of it, but for the last five, six years, it's been tumultuous. Um, I've had a number of deaths in, in, in my life in that time period. There was COVID, there was, there's a lot of stuff. There was a divorce. There's, there's stuff going on that, that I just haven't shared. It's just not, it's not been my time to share it yet. But this feels like that time to kind of, okay, turn that page and, and move forward in a way. Um, and I mentioned on, on one of the last intros that I was, I was working on a eulogy. And I just couldn't get it right. I was spending weeks, or excuse me, I spent weeks working on or thinking about this eulogy. And I would sit down to write and nothing would come out. It just didn't feel right. It didn't sound right. It wasn't satisfactory to me. And in typical fashion for me, I, uh, I procrastinated, I waited and I waited and I waited all under the guise. Let's be honest. It was under the guise of, I want to get it right. Or I don't know exactly what I want to say. The issue with that is no one knows what they want to say. And there's so much you want to say that you have to try and condense it to, you know, a few minutes to, to, to not consume the, the lion's share of this ceremony. And also not to bore people. I mean, I could go with all the inside jokes or all the family jokes, but everyone in that audience that was listening wasn't, wasn't there for that. They were, they were there to support us, to say goodbye for themselves and to find their own closure. And so I, um, I woke up the morning of the, of the celebration and I still hadn't written anything. I'd had some notes jotted on my phone and some ideas in my head, but I had not written written a, a damn thing. And I knew I had to. Um, and so part of what I said in there is it turns out that it's impossible to sift through and decide what to include, let alone get all the thoughts out on paper. And I had considered so many directions, but I finally figured it out. And, and I kind of bragged that I finally figured it out, but honestly, it was, it was the deadline that backed me into a corner and made me do it. Classic procrastination, classic ADHD work, which there's a whole nother subject to get into, but 
I kind of want to read a part of that and share some of that with you guys. You, you've been along on this journey with me now for, for the eight weeks, basically, from the time that uh, I knew that her death was, was weeks away to, to her death, to the after, the after, the after effect of her death and, and the, the emotional roller coaster that I've been on. And what I wrote in there, in the body of it, was this. The word was maybe the hardest thing to get used to saying. In the last six weeks or so, it's become part of my every day. For the longest time, I would correct myself. My mother is slowly morphed into my mother was. I struggle with that. I would think most of us would or have struggled with that. And one day I had a conversation about her death and the effect on me. I remember recounting numerous ways that she was important to me and was being the emphasis. And she was my rock. She was my compass. She was my hero. You guys have heard me say that. And when I relayed those sentiments in this conversation, it was in a firehouse actually. And when I relayed those sentiments in conversation, I was stopped abruptly. And it was kind of a terse reply. I said, none of that changes. And this person said, she can still be a rock, your compass, your whatever. And I half-heartedly agreed while thinking to myself, doesn't work that way, bro. Does not work that way. And I kind of went about the day, but that thought stuck with me and I started playing with it in my head. And honestly, it's, I think I've shared it a couple of times on the show. What does her death mean? What does it change? It doesn't change any of those things. The only thing it changed is that she's not physically present. Doesn't necessarily mean she's absent from my life. The lessons she taught, the advice she gave, the patience she granted, the forgiveness and grace she blessed me with, all that remains. It remains in me. It remains in my sisters. It remains in her grandchildren. It remains in her great-grandchildren. She's there, and she will be every step of the way. The real and true effect of her death was the cessation of her pain and suffering. Her body, which betrayed her, is gone. That group of molecules, that, that, that what we call the skin suit that carried her spirit and her conscience for 80-plus years, is gone, but her spirit, which the cancer couldn't touch, remains. It was there when we gathered at my sister's house the night before. It was there in the chaos of voices. It was there in the laughter of children. It was there when we greeted each other the night before and the day of the ceremony. And it'll be there when we wake up for things like Christmas morning or New Year's Day or her birthday or whatever. It will be there the next time we see someone dress up in costume, which was the thing we did for her on her birthdays. It'll be there when we gather as a family for birthdays, holidays, reunions. Her spirit refused to be destroyed by the most vile and insidious disease. And believe me, it's going to be there wherever we are. And so I told them I can stand here and I can share anecdotes, anecdote after anecdote about my mom, about our birthday parties for her, about my adventures and her adventures with me through my middle school and high school years, which were terrible, about the rambling voicemails that she tended to leave, about her laughter about the way her smile lit up a room, even from her hospital bed. You could walk in, she would smile at you, and it, it lit up the room, literally. And so we can tell all those stories, or I can tell all those stories. But I thought the best way for, for the people at the ceremony to do it was through one of her pastimes, her favorite pastimes. And she loved this idea and the art of storytelling. One of the things she liked to do when she was alive and healthy was she would go to the national storytelling festival in, in Tennessee. And, uh, one of her favorite pictures and and I, I kind of tear up when I think about it in a paraphrase is she's wearing a shirt that says the shortest road between two people is a story. And that just made sense to me. And so what I did it, is I asked the audience and the crowd and the family and friends, 
the, during the ceremonies, like instead of me sitting up here and telling stories, I wanted them to relay a story. Could be about her. Could be how did you meet? What was your favorite memory? What does she mean to you? How will you remember? And then I went on for some things that, just some general topics that reminded me of her and what I would remember. And uh, they're kind of they're kind of inside jokes, so they're not going to make much sense to to the podcast audience. But it was some funny things she said in a shirt she had worn. Um, to hear her to yell my full name when I'm in trouble, um, and I I would hear it all the time. You know, as growing up, I would hear my full name all the time, as, as a lot of precocious kids do. Uh, to our conversations about life, to her acceptance of anyone and everyone she met, and sorry, and most importantly, to the love she gave and the fervor she lived her life with. And so, my point is, I'm not going to use the word was with her. My mother is still with us. She is my rock. She is my compass. She is my hero. She always will be. And it took writing this eulogy for me to truly come to that realization. She's everywhere because of what she did for me and how she raised me and how she, how she developed my sense of right and wrong. And I've challenged that sense of right and wrong a few times in my life. And, and, um, I'm not a perfect person. I said that before. I'm a flawed individual and I'm, uh, all the good is due to her and all the negative or, or whatever is due to my own actions. Like I said, she is my compass and I still use her as, as that. So in decision-making, I, I, she taught me how to make those decisions. She taught me how to treat people. She taught me how to love. She taught me how to, to fight. So she will, she will always be there. She, like I said, she is my rock. She's my compass. She's my hero. Welcome to episode 95 of The Things We All Carry. Today, I'm welcoming Bobby to the show. Bobby's out of the Raleigh area, North Carolina. He uh, joined the fire service as a part of the junior program in 2008. He turned 18 and he was hired as a career firefighter. He, um, he's what you would call your prototypical black cloud. Any, as he said, any fucked up call in the department has happened when he's been on shift. He's had like numerous traumatic calls. He... In 2018, he had a, he had a brush with death, quite honestly. He, he brushes off as, as, you know, I, I spent some time in a hospital kind of thing, but he, he, he came close to damn near dying. And then between constant work, between full-time firefighting, part-time firefighting, chimney work, construction work, he left no time for family and it took a toll. Then he had this call that just tipped the scales and it tipped the scales and, and it, something snapped. He um, reached out for help after a suicide attempt, and you'll hear in the show where that suicide attempt was and how he, how he was found. And he found this program called Shields and Stripes, and he, he spent a, a month out in Arizona with, the, with this program, and he can't, he can't say enough good things about it. Um, they allowed him to, to find himself. They allowed him to find some of the root causes of what's going on. They allowed him to repair himself repair his relationship with his family and start down a path of, of, uh, health and happiness. Basically, this was a, this was a, an interesting conversation and I appreciate it from the standpoint of 
how he told his story and the impact he had when he, when he told the story. I hope that you find it as interesting as I did and you get the same amount of value out of it. This is, uh, this is going to be the, the, the last show with a guest, at least for the, for the rest of the year. I might do one next week. It'll be, uh, it'll be kind of self-centered. Um, if I do it, it might, we'll see what happens. Um, we'll be back in January with, with new shows. I'm going to pick a few older shows to re-release. And, um, if you haven't heard them before, like, I think I'm going to go through like the first 10 or 15 episodes and put a couple of those shows out and, and expose people to, to, uh, some of those shows I think are really good, but didn't get a lot of playtime because they were so early in the, in this quote unquote podcast career. You guys enjoy the show with Bobby. Um, and I will be back before you know it in your ear, bugging you a quick reminder to please help us build a community, which not only recognizes, but supports each other through the struggles and recovery. Reach out through Instagram at the things we all carry or email my story at the things we all carry.com to offer support and share your story. Please remember to leave a review on iTunes and give a shout out to any first responder you know, love, or care about. Y'all enjoy the show. Yeah. All right. Well, if you're comfortable, let's do this. Let's have this conversation. Let's do it, man. Uh, all right. Cool. Let me get the notes. And welcome back to the things we all carry. Uh, this morning, we have Josh, who also goes by the name, actually predominantly goes by the name Bobby. And I'll let him explain where he got the Bobby from, because I, I think it's a pretty funny story. And uh, it's one of those in the fire service that it sticks with you and, and nobody remembers your real name. And I, I think anyone has a nickname in the fire service gets that and, and you experience that. Uh, good morning, Bobby. How are you? I'm doing all right. Um, look, give them a little background that you've been in. The fire service just outside of Raleigh now for about 15 years, correct? So let me ask you, let's get it out of the way real quick. What's the last song you listened to? Um, uh, I was at the gym. I, I was listening to uh, Tree Oak Revival, uh, their new album. Yeah. It was uh, called uh, uh, Fishnets, I think. Okay. Uh, I like to work out to, to like sad drinking country. So. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a special kind of, um, uh, let's see emotional menace when you do that, I suppose. Yeah. If, if my headphones come undone, people look at me like, dude, are you okay? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm all, I'm all right. Um, yeah, I, I know a, a few people that do it and I think it, it takes a, takes a different individual to do it that way. So cool. And I, I know I, I just got turned on the Treaty Oak revival. And so I, I do like him. I like him a lot. Um, I don't know if you heard my show with Charlie Collins. He's a local guy up here. And he's the one that turned me on the Treaty Oak Revival. So I, that was, I, I like their sound quite a bit. Yeah. I, I, that, that's, that's my, that's my job, man. I, I call it country, country music says the F word. And yeah. like, that's pretty much what I'm listening to. Doesn't matter if I'm working, drawing, working out, doesn't matter. It's, it's some sort of barroom country zone. Well, if you, style. if you haven't checked out Charlie's stuff, check it out. It's Charlie Collins music. So he's, he's a, yeah. he's a young kid just getting started and, and I'm trying to give him shout outs whenever I can. Hell yeah. I'll check it out right now. I'm writing it down. So tell me a little bit about family life. You know, what was your family like? Where, where'd you grow up? Um, what was, what were those formative years like for you? 
yeah, so uh, I got uh, grew up outside of Raleigh um, in a uh, my mom, my dad, and then an older brother and um, blue collar family. Uh, my dad um, owned a, a construction company. He he was a tile guy. Um, my my dad's a my dad's a gangster man. Um, you know he was uh, a eighth grade dropout. Um, but one of the smartest human beings I've ever met, um, very entrepreneurial mindset. And, uh, so he, he built this, uh, tile company from the ground up, uh, was in business for about 20 years. Um, uh, my mom ran his, um, office side of thing. Um, early in the early years, she, she was out there, she was a ground pounder, um, and was, uh, out there with him doing the sweet hammer. And, um, so from the moment my brother and I were old enough to, uh, to be an asset to the, the family business, uh, we were out there getting after it. Um, ocean man would pull up, we'd have to go hide the truck, um, nine, nine, 10 years old, you know, carrying, uh, carrying Duroc box of tile and shit upstairs, um, setting up jobs. Um, so just typical you know, blue collar family. Um, my mom, uh, she would choose different breed. She had, uh, 11 brothers and sisters, okay. uh, predominantly brothers. Um, well, no wonder you know, she, she was out she, there doing the, doing the heavy stuff. Yeah, dude, she, she, she's a bad bitch. She scares the hell out of me. Uh, I was always more scared of her than my, than my, than my dad. And, uh, <laughs> she, uh, which, you know, when we get down the road, uh, into, into my relationship, Rob, you'll, you'll understand, uh, with my only exposure to a female being, uh, a hard ass like her, uh, I was not prepared for, uh, how normal women are. And I'm not saying my mom's not normal, but she, she was tough. Right. And, um, so, you know, growing up, man, uh, big outdoors family, um, we were, we were real big into hunting, um, fishing and just, just work. Uh, all, all we did was work. Me and my brother, we both played sports, um, uh, football, baseball. Um, we're fortunate, man, you know, thanks were thriving. So we, we never did without until, uh, till 08 when, uh, the, the crisis hit and mm -hmm. that was, uh, that was the end of that. Um, and that was the, my entry into the fire service was, was around that time I was, I was coming out of high school and, um, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Um, uh, had originally planned on the military route, um, and due to some, you know, ongoing health problems that, that wasn't a good option. Um, you know, fought that battle and my dad was just like, Hey, whatever you do, don't go into construction. I don't, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you go to school. I don't care where you go. Just don't, don't make your living swinging a hammer. Um, and I, I, I took that, I took the heart and, um, due to the guys that I grew up around, my best friend growing up, um, his dad was, uh, a battalion chief, um, out here close to us. And ironically, my, my entire baseball 
uh, coaching staff were all career firefighters. Um, and they were my, they were my closest friends. So, I, uh, grew up around a firehouse. Um, and it, it, it had a draw. It seemed like, it seemed like the right fit, you know, it, it was stable. It wasn't construction. Um, so I decided to go that route and, and jumped into, uh, jumped into the fire service as a, as a volunteer, um, and the department I'm at now, it, it was a, a, a combination department at the time, um, still kind of small townish. And, uh, so they were, they didn't host their own academies at the time, but they, if, if you were a, uh, a volunteer, um, or an intern, they would, they would pay for you to, uh, go through the county academy. Um, so went through that, um, with two of, uh, two of, two of my good friends that I, I met, um, through that internship program. And to this day, we're, we're still working together. Still got, we got hired on full-time same day and, and, and one of my closest friends. So, um, you know, took that to heart and just jumped right into the academy and uh was fortunate enough to get hired um full-time as, as pretty much as soon as i got out um and that started uh my fire service career um i did what every young firefighter thinks they need to do when they uh get hired uh but but you know besides buying a new truck um it was uh then you didn't do everything you know yeah great this grand plan that I was going to find every part-time fire job that I could possibly find until I absolutely despise seeing a fire truck. Um, and I did that for a few years. Um, and you know, was bouncing firehouse, firehouse, um, small little County departments, um, working eight to five, working night shifts. Um, you know, got some really good experience early on because uh, it went from riding in the backseat of my career department to being the only person at these little, mm -hmm. uh, small departments, uh, you know, showing up on scene, set the pump and, and going to work and, uh, doing some, doing some cowboy shit. Um, and, but you know, it got old. So, um, I kind of, uh, stepped away from that and, uh, started pursuing some fitness uh, job. So I was doing some coaching, um, and then got into, uh, cleaning chimneys on the side. So just riding a fire truck and, and working. Um, as far as my family goes, um, when I was 20, 21 years old, um, the, who's now my wife, um, we, uh, we found out we were pregnant, uh, with my daughter. Um, and we were not anywhere, uh, remotely close to a being adults and be in a position to, uh, to start a family. Um, so we kind of jumped into, uh, raising, uh, raising a baby by ourselves, um, uh, with no money and, uh, you know, she, she couldn't work once the, once my daughter was born. So, uh, uh, it just, then I was really good at, uh, four or five jobs, just trying to get food on the table. Um, had two more kids. Um, and she, she had a son as well. 
uh, has a son. He's, he's still here. Uh, so we, we're, we got four, um, uh, oldest, uh, he's just turned 13. Uh, got my, uh, nine-year-old, a six-year-old and, uh, what will be a, a four-year-old next month. You get your hands um, two full, girls, two boys. Yeah, I, I'm wearing a hat because if, if I wasn't, you would see how gray and balding I am. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I wouldn't trade it for nothing, man. Um, it, it we're, we're fortunately, I'm finally at a point where, like, uh, you know, I'm home and I, I'm like getting to do the dad thing, and we'll get into that. And uh, they're they're my world, man. Uh, my my girls, I mean, my boys are special, but my my girls are. They're my girls yeah. and, uh, I, I have no idea what I'm doing, but it, it's, a we're, we're figuring it out. I think a lot of us yeah, did that fun. with, with kids when we, at a young age, you just kind of figure it out and, and hope for the, hope you do the best in the long run. Hope they learn how to be at least a semblance of a decent human being. Yeah. I just, I just don't want daddy issues. That's my biggest fear. In life. I get that. <laughs> I get that. Tell me a little bit about your department. I know you, it's a suburban department and you said it's just outside of Raleigh. Are you South of Raleigh or where, where are you? Yeah, we, yeah, we're South of Raleigh. Um, it is a suburban department. It's, it's, it's a rapidly growing department. Uh, we got six stations, um, working on seven. Uh, we got about 130 career staff, um, engines, uh, we, we're running two, two ladders and a, and a heavy rescue, um, run, uh, you know, five, 6,000 calls a year. Um, uh, most of those being medical, like everywhere else. Um, we do run, um, a lot of vehicle accidents. Uh, we, we get a lot of good, uh, we have a lot of major highways. Um, as far as fighting fire goes, uh, it was, it's like 2019, 2020, a lot switched flipped and, uh, that has become few and far between. Uh, yeah. Tell me we, about we it. are a newer community. Yeah. Um, median income house, uh, median house cost is about 600, 650,000 now. Oh, uh, that's up there. Overflow from RTP. Uh, yeah, for our area, it's, it's, it's up there. Um, I think 10 years ago, uh, it was like 200 was, was 250 was your higher end. Uh, in this area. So Jeez. just construction everywhere. Uh, I think, I think there's, I don't even want to butcher the number of how many people, uh, are, are progressing through the area. I think there's like, they were saying the other day, like 15,000 open permits for, for construction and 15,000. Uh, yes. Yeah. And I guess that makes sense. As you know, it's funny. I just, and you see me looking off screen. I just pulled up on, on the map Raleigh because in, you know, I know kind of where it's at, but I'm not terribly familiar with it. So you look it up and you're like, oh, well this makes sense. Now you, you see Chapel Hill there, you see Durham there. And of course, I mean, that's all, it's almost one, one city there. Cause you guys are that close to each other. And so why not yep. expand that way? And of course, housing prices are going to go up with, with Chapel Hill right there with the two universities yeah. and, and, and all that. So that makes complete sense. Yeah, it, it's crazy, man. Like I, I, I grew up in this area, and, and you know the the closest we had to to go out to eat was a, was a twenty five minute drive when I was growing up. And the the country that I grew up in, country area, I I'll go out there and drive now, and I won't even recognize where I'm at because 
what used to be trees, as far as I could see is, is housing developments. Yeah. Um, and from, uh, you know, paycheck perspective, it's, it's really nice because, uh, we, we definitely, uh, benefit from that, uh, tax income and, and things like that. But everybody knows, you know, from a firefighting standpoint, uh, mm-hmm. the lower incomes where the work's at, um, so we still have a little bit of, a little bit of mix of that, but it's, it's definitely been a, a huge transition, uh, which brought me to, uh, I, I ride the, the rescue, um, and that's what brought me to, uh, the, the rescue was the ability to broaden my ability and, and my call volume, um, by getting into the technical side, um, as well as the dive, the swift water, um, being a deployable asset, things like that, um, that gave us the ability to do some fun stuff because the fire wasn't there. Right. So right. to, to scratch that itch of, of that go-getter attitude, I, I wanted to find some things and then I got into the rescue world and pretty much been there the majority of my career. Um, and I'm, I'm happy as, as a pig and bud doing that, you know, I, I want to fight fires as much as the next guy, but you know, I, if I can go and, and, and do the, I like the technical stuff. I like the puzzle solving side of things and planning and acting and things like that. So that's, that's where I'm at uh, so doing that. Before we go, before we go much further and I, I kind of promised the, the audience, you would explain your, uh. Your nickname there. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, early, early on in my career, I had a, before I was a big hairy oaf, uh, I was, I was, uh, had my, my head shaved for a, for a cancer, uh, foundation thing and, uh, a little pudgy and, and walked in. Oh, I'm so sorry. That is, it's my first day. Uh, let me turn that off. Oh, I walked into the, uh, Walked into an office and somebody said, look at that Bobby Hill looking motherfucker. And, uh, from that day forward, uh, I was, I was known as Bobby. Um, fun fact, any town mail that I get is addressed to, to Bobby because somebody got me there. Um, I, I was actually at a promotional process and logged into our portal to fill out the application and it auto populated. Uh, Bobby in there is my name, which is, which is not my name anywhere in my name. And, uh, I, I was freaking out calling HR like, Hey, like I'm trying to submit this application, but that's, that's not my name on it. Um, we need to, we need to get that fixed. And, um, so it is, it's kind of stuck, um, over the years, um, as, as some of the older guys and the guys that I came in, in with have, have aged on and moved on, um, the, the nickname has kind of gone away, but, um, the, the, the homies all still go with it. And, um, you know, it just all my, all my social media, everything, I just still go by it. It's funny because you and I talked about it before we started recording that once you get a nickname, it, it, everyone knows you by that nickname. And it's funny because you can kind of you can kind of tell the friends you have from the fire service from the friends you that know you outside of the fire service. I, at least I can because 
everybody in the fire service is going to call me by stack where everybody else is going to call me, you use my first name to, to address me. And so I, I kind of know, okay, so that's, that's where we are. And then it starts, they, that nickname starts to bleed over even into the, to the personal relationships outside the fire service. Cause people hear it, hear it said so often. So yeah, I, I, I completely get the, you know, falling into the nickname realm. Yeah. I mean, there, there was times when people would say my name, I, I wouldn't even turn around and look, um, and now, now it's gotten a little bit better, but you know, I, I owned it, um, instead of, you know, I think it was meant as an insult, but I, I owned it and I kept it. And, you, uh, you have to own it or it gets worse. Yeah. I, uh, on the front of my helmet, I got, a, I got a pin of, uh, of Bobby Hill with a fire helmet doing the, doing the rock all. And, <laughs> uh, it's, it's pinned to my, to my shield and it rides with it. So it's just own it. And, uh. Had that conversation, you know, I do a lot of teaching now. Oh, and had that conversation. I, I like to, I like to give nicknames, um, to, to my students. And when they give me the whole, you know, I don't, I don't really like that one. I'm like, well, you don't get to choose. Like it's, it's, it's stuck. You're stuck with it. Like, the worst thing you can do is tell someone you don't like the nickname. Yeah. Then it, then it just doubled down, man. Yeah. Like, this is your first lesson. Fire service. Exactly. Don't tell people you don't like stuff. Exactly. That never tell people don't don't and this is going to come off completely wrong because I don't mean it the way it's going to sound but don't show weakness right I mean so yeah. so don't show the things that bother you don't show the pet peeves don't show the 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 if you're afraid of spiders you better embrace spiders because you'll have a, a room full of spiders if you if you let people know and it, it it's funny my uh you know being on the truck that I'm on uh the the least least years of service on that truck is is 10 years and uh my my driver he's he, he's going on 21 years and he slipped up probably three weeks ago hmm. it was just like i hate it when you all talk about shit at the dinner table and we were <laughs> like come on bro you, you know better than that you, you're 21 years on the job and you just told us right. that you, so now i mean it's every day i mean we somehow make it and he's like, when are y'all going to stop? I was like, you never screwed up, man. Yeah. You, you fuck, you, you let it, you let it slip. Yeah. We, uh, better. we had a, a medic lieutenant, one of my stations right. accidentally slipped that she, she cannot stand the sight of a belly button. Oh. And so in a group text, of course, all of us went in immediately and switched our avatars to belly buttons. You know, it's that <laughs> kind of thing. You should never not going to see a belly button now. Oh yeah. My, mine was, I, I don't like tape. Uh, I don't like sticky things. Okay. Um, I made that, I made that known. I had found my self duct tape to beds, uh, <laughs> found myself duct taped to backboards. Uh, probably the most clever one I had was, uh, I, I went to bed and somebody had too much free time on their hand and taped my entire door, um, on the outside and at about two o'clock in the morning, uh, open the door to run out for a call and just get wrapped up in a spider web of tape. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, damn it, you know, it's, yep. uh, hard lessons, but we, we all learn them. You That's know? funny. So explain to me. Yeah. And I think anybody listening that's in the fire service knows immediately what you're talking about, but you are, uh, you, you are defined as, as the definitive black cloud, correct? That is, that is correct. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I've been very fortunate in that, um, since, since my time, uh, with, with the city I'm with, 
Uh, if it's going to happen, uh, it's going to happen when I'm working. Um, they, uh, you know, the, my homies, they, they, I was on the phone with one of them yesterday and he was like, if it wasn't for bad luck, you wouldn't have, have luck at all. Um, it, it's, it's a double-edged sword, um, because out of that black cloud, I have got a tremendous amount of, of experience in my, in my career, uh, even at a short time, um, I did a lot of cool stuff, um, that a lot of people go an entire career without doing, and I did it pretty rapidly. Um, there, there's no question about that. Um, as far as on the job experience goes where I'm at and, and this isn't, uh, trying to sound conceited or anything like that, but I, I would say, um, on the higher end of, of the most on the job experience, um, out of a lot of people, uh, in my department and that was luck of the draw. And, and I, I told people all the time, you know, there was a lot of questions of, of why, why does, why do you get to do this? And why are you in this role? And why, and it's just like, man, that luck of the draw. Um, I happen to be working the day that all these things conspired. Um, but with that came, uh, a lot of bad stuff, um, a lot of traumatic things that, um, you know, I didn't realize were pounding on and, and sh shilling my file cabinet up, uh, until that, that top drawer overfilled and, and that final cabinet tipped over, um, you know, talking about bad luck, just, you know, my last shift that was Tuesday, um, I crawled into a crawl space to, uh, monitor for gas. And ended up in anaphylactic shock and getting stabbed with fucking EpiPens. And I've never, never had any allergies that I'm aware of. Uh, you know, that's just, that's just how my life goes. Uh, go in, um, I actually had a, a real screwed up conversation as I was going in about, uh, it was pretty sketchy crawl space, just nasty. And I told my my captain that he could, he could have, have my wife if I died. And the next thing I know I'm dying. So hey, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I, yeah. I, was like, I, don't, I don't know why you closed the door and locked it, but no, nah, it was, uh, and it's just how it goes. Bad luck. And, uh, but we laugh about it. it it's, it's a running joke that, uh, you know, I got the, I got the short end of the stick most of the time, but I honestly, I, I wouldn't trade it for nothing. Um, there were, there were some times that they got tough. Um, and we'll definitely get into that, but now looking back on it, um, thanks to good conversations, good, good clinicians and things like that. I, I realized that every single one of those things that has, um, come to fruition over the, over the years, there, there's a reason for it. Um, and, and there's a, a tool that can come out of it to, to be used. Um, you know, I don't, as, as a badge, um, but I'm not afraid to talk about it. I'm not afraid to share it. Um, and, and especially with younger guys and, and girls that are, that are going into this. Yeah. And you, you had some health issues. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, right. cause I, I think that's, a, that's a huge part of it. Um, Cause you, it, so you're so, yeah. diagnosed in 2013, correct? 
Yeah, I was I was diagnosed in 2013. But you had uh, what kind of what I mean? What led you to to seeking answers? Uh, I mean, just bluntly, I I started shitting blood. Uh, so I did what uh, every uh, knuckle dragon man would do: is I ignored it for as, as long say, as I possibly could. So you fucking ignored it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I ignored it. Uh, I, I figured if uh, if I didn't go and get checked. Then uh, they couldn't tell me I was dying. Oh, uh, obviously, very true. MFB, very true. Yeah, uh, I, I had ovarian cancer, probably uh, uh, based on WebMD's assessment. But <laughs> that, yeah. now I, I ended up going and uh, getting checked, uh, getting colonoscopy, and they came back and you know diagnosed me initially with uh, with just regular colitis. Uh, and then through a progression of, of testing and symptoms and things not working, they, they upgraded to, uh, to Crohn's disease. Um, uh, I pretty, well, I thought I pretty well managed it, um, for, for a few years, uh-huh. uh, back in 2018, um, I was, I was hitting it hard, man. I was, uh. That was, that was at the peak of financial struggles. Um, I had three kids at the time that, uh, we were, we were trying to keep food on the table. Uh, my wife was staying home. Um, so I was working at two fire departments, uh, one full-time, one part-time, uh, cleaning chimneys and, uh, coaching, uh, CrossFit. Uh, mornings and nights. So, uh, it was wake up, go do some sort of, uh, fire station, go to gym, do whatever. And I was, I was balls to the walls and, um, yeah, you know, over, when did 30, you, when did you get to take a breath, let alone rest? Uh, never, never. Um, and you know, it, I was forced into doing that. Um, because we, uh over from 13 to 18, I would, I would have symptoms and typically, you know, I'd go and get some steroids and, uh, it, it, it would even itself out. And then, uh, early 2018, uh, about January, February, I, I started getting sick again, uh, started getting blood and would just, you know, backing up. Nobody ever told me in any of my diagnosis, Hey, when you see blood, that's not okay. Um, no doctor ever said that. I thought that was just like, Hey, occasionally I'm going to see blood, whatever. Um, so early about January, 2018, like it, I started getting symptomatic. Um, and I was, I was, you know, fit. Uh, I was at my fittest I ever had been. I was lean. Um, I was getting after it and, uh, about July, I really started getting sick. Uh, got to the point where I couldn't control my bowels, uh, much, uh, there was, there was a lot of blood, but I, I didn't have a chance to take a break. Um, I didn't really have a chance to take care of myself. So, um, early August, uh, we, End of July, early August, we took a, a family vacation. We went to the mountains and that was my first chance of having a break. Um, I took off a week of work and 
the moment that I rested, my body said, that's it, I'm done. Um, and, and we were in the mountains camping, um, and I was, I was using the bathroom 30, 40 times a day. Uh, it, 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 it wasn't even food. It, it was, it, it was pretty much blood. Um, and that week I lost about 30 pounds. Uh, uh I came back and my first day back at work, um, at the chimney company I worked for. I walked into the office and, and man, the, uh, office lady, she looked at me, she's like, dude, you look like shit. And I was like, yeah, I'm having, I'm having a bad flare up, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go get checked out, get some steroids or whatever. Um, I actually had a coach's meeting that night at the gym that I worked at. We did a snatch ladder. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go out there and humble brag, uh, snatch, snatch, uh, 275 while dying. Um, <laughs> well, at least there's a good, and, good, there's something good coming, came out of it. Right. Yeah. You know, humble brag, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, we, we took a, we took a group photo afterwards and, uh, I remember getting home, you know, everybody had told me I looked like shit. Um, and I remember looking at that photo and I, I was gray, um, in, in comparison to those with me, I was like, I, I'm not okay. Um, so I, I looked at my wife. And, uh, I was like, Hey, I'm going to the emergency room. And she was like, I'm going to drive you. I was like, no, you know, don't, don't wake the kids up. Um, it's not worth it. You know, I'm thinking they'll, they'll go give me, give me a bag of fluid, give me some steroids and, uh, drive myself to the hospital. And the first red flag is when I walked into the emergency room and the, uh, the receptionist in the emergency room, as soon as I walked in the door, said, oh, shit, jumped up and grabbed a wheelchair. <laughs> that's, um, that's promising. And I was like, awesome. Uh, okay. So they, they didn't triage me. They, they rolled me right back to a room. Uh, and nurse comes in and she starts, you know, setting up lines and, and, and getting access. She had, she had a little trouble getting access. And uh, she said, you know, when's the last time you peed? And I was like, I, I don't know. I, I've, I've been shit so much that I haven't paid it any attention. Uh, she's like, well, you're, you know, I, I can't get anything. Uh, so she ended up getting, get some blood. Um, about an hour goes by. I'm on the phone with my wife and I'm giving her the old, like, Hey, calm down. You know, we'll give me some steroids. I'll be home, you know, two, three o'clock. And, and the doctor walks in and he goes, Hey, is that your wife? I said, yeah, that he said, you might want to, you might want to get her up here. And I said, why? He said, cause you're probably not going to make it through the night. Jesus. Uh, he said, you ever had a blood transfusion? I said, no. He said, cool. You're about to, uh, your hemoglobin is four. Um, mm. uh, I was septic. Uh, I was anemic. I, I was extremely dehydrated. It took, it took four bags of fluid before I took a piss. Um, and that was, that was the moment I realized I wasn't Superman. Um, I, they, they wheeled me upstairs, scoped me, um, which is a disaster in itself. Um, I had E. coli, um, it, it was, I, if, if I could have it, I had it. And, uh, so that started, um. 
that started a, a very long journey. Uh, I ended up staying there, uh, about three weeks, uh, in intensive care, um, you know, and it, that was a, a blessing and a, and a, and a curse when it comes to what I, the brotherhood, um, you, I, you learn a lot about the brotherhood, uh, when you go through something like that. Uh, my captain, um, the homies, they were there every day, um, volunteer department, a little part-time department. I was old, you know, they were sending fire trucks to my house to cut my grass. Um, uh, like I said, my cat, every, every morning he was coming to work or leaving work. He stopped by and, and brought breakfast. Uh, one of the guys I, I worked with, you know, he, he, he knew nothing about kids. He had no idea what to do with kids. Uh, but he kept my kids, uh, you know, and, but the department, um, uh, the administration really let me down. Um, there was, you know, laying in a hospital bed, getting phone calls about no call, no show. And, um, uh, worried about when I'm coming back to work. Um, and you know, this might get me in trouble, but that, that administration is gone and passed. So I don't really give a shit. Oh, uh, my, my, my officer at the time had it worked out to have every truck rotate through on my shift day, uh, to, to be able to have everybody there at, at one time, you know, it, everybody access because we're a transplant department. Some of our guys are driving two, three hours to work. Um, so with everybody at work it, and they, they were told to stand down. Uh, the hospital I was at was, was less than a mile outside of our fire district. Um, I had neighboring departments, uh, that were standing by. They had, they had firefighters from their department standing by my hospital room. Um, I had IFs from other departments that were giving me money to pay my bills while I was away and while I was sick. Um, and other than the, the homies, my, my department, they, they really shit the bed, um, on that, that administration at that time. And, uh, you know, my, my part-time department, the, the fire chief, he, he stopped by three, four times. Um, and I, I, I never heard, never heard one word one from any of my upper administration and, uh, and I don't expect that, but I think I did expect that at right. the time, but right. the, you have people that are completely uninvolved, uh, involved in, in me that are, uh, going out of their way just because of what my job is to, to support me and my family and, and my own administration could give two shits. Right. Um, right. That, that was a, a big slice of humble pie. Um, I was, I was tack med, uh, for, for police department at the time. And, you know, my own guys were, were told threat that they were not to come up there and bring a fire truck to come see me. And, uh, there, there was nine police officers on duty, including the fucking dog that, that came by and, and hung out. Mm -hmm. Um, but 
a fire truck wasn't allowed to. Uh, so that really, really jaded me towards, uh, that administration. Um, and I, I've always been, a, have always been a loose cannon with my, with my mouth. Um, uh, there, there's a reason that I'm this far in my career and, and still, still a backstep firefighter. Um, uh, I've self-imposed made myself unpromotable, uh, because if it comes in my head, it comes out of my mouth. <laughs> um, and you know, I, I, I voice my frustration. Um, so pass that forward. Um, they, once I got out of the hospital, got, got recovered, um, enough to go home. I, it wasn't right back to work. It was still, um, uh, I couldn't get up off the couch. Um, I couldn't get out of bed. I could barely walk. If I got up and walked from my bed to the bathroom, I was out of breath. Um, so it was a whole bunch of like, I got a long road before I get back on a fire truck. Um, that, that went on for a couple months. Um, you know, I, I missed some, uh, I missed some deployments. I missed some things that, you know, I had that, that FOMO going on and, and tried to, to get out, uh, while, while the homies were out deployed for the hurricanes, I, w I was checking in with their wives and their houses and trying to do what I could from the home front. Um, because I couldn't be there and, uh, just basically focused on getting myself back in shape to get on, get back on the fire truck. Um, uh, you know, that, that was a, a whole, whole lot of find out who your friends are. Um, like I said, the, the ones, the ones that I expected and the ones that I would do the same for them, they were there and I, I will never, never bad mouth, you know, them stepping up and, 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 and doing what we're supposed to do for one another. Um, the, the love and the outpour was, was overwhelming. Um, you know, back up a little bit. The day I went into the hospital, um, I had $7 in my bank account. Hmm. Um, and through the generosity of, of others, you know, one of, one of the guys, and he, he's no longer with us. And, um, he, he walked in and handed me a $5,000 check, personal check. And was like, Hey, you need this more than I do. Um, you know, when I, when I left my treatment and going through that, you know, I went from $7 to my bank account, wondering where my next meal was going to come from, how I was going to feed my kids to, uh, being safe and being comfortable, um, because of, of the, the brotherhood, um, and people stepping up and, and, and doing way more than they needed to do to the point that once I got on my feet, yeah, I took that, uh, I took the surplus that, that was gifted to me and I, I, I paid it forward to, uh, some other, other firefighters, um, in need. Uh, cause I, I didn't, I didn't feel right holding on to it. Um, but that was one of those things, like I said, of, of, at the time it seemed absolutely ridiculous, um, that this was happening to me, but then 
you, you fast forward to the end, end part of it and you're like, you know, that this needed to happen. Um, things worked out. Uh, so I, I get back to work. Oh, uh, but I'm not good. I'm not, I'm not healthy. Um, uh, they, they were putting me on, uh, uh, Humera treatment, uh, that wasn't working. Excuse me. And, um, I was doing, uh, once a week, two injections into my gut with, uh, Humera biologic pen. Um, and the, the symptoms, uh, were better, but I still didn't really have control over my bowels. Um, you know, there was, I have so many stories of, of ridiculous shit stories on, on calls. Um, mm-hmm. uh, some of them are pretty freaking hilarious. Uh, you know, which <laughs> that's, that's for another day, but, uh, <laughs> you know, one, one, uh, I'll go ahead and tell one of it. It's one of, it's one of the funniest ones, man. Uh, we're on a vehicle accident and it, it was inevitable that if I was asleep and woke up, whenever I would wake up, you know, I needed to find a toilet pretty fast. Um, but fortunately for calls, when that adrenaline from, from getting up and going to work, I was good. I could function, but as soon as things settled down, uh, that's when, that's when I needed to start finding somewhere. And, uh, so I got up, uh, went to a wreck, it was, ended up being pit in, uh, we got him out, got him cut out and, uh, looked at my captain once they transported everybody, we were on scene waiting for the record. I was like, Hey man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit the woods real quick. And, uh, very small area of woods in between two, two roads. And it was on a hill and I make my way up the hill and, uh, try to find out somewhere pristine find a fence post to hold on to, to keep from falling down the hill. And about, you know, right when I finished my business, that, that fence post snapped. <laughs> and, uh, I ended up rolling head over heels down a hill, turn out pants, pants around my ankles. I get to the bottom of the hill and, uh, engineer on the engine that was there comes running over. He's like, dude, what the hell, man, what's going on? And I was like, man, I need a flashlight and a booster reel. And, uh, I, I, I'm sitting on the side of the highway, get hosed down, uh, like Farva from, from super troopers and you know, the dudes ho- hosed me down. He doesn't do poop and he's sitting there gagging. So, you know, it, it, it became a joke, you know, like I have a, a shit emoji that hangs off the back of my helmet. Um, you know, it's a, it's a rotted joke. You know, it's one of those things if you can't own it then just, just roll with it. So I, I was, I was pretty sick. Um, and, uh, thought I was better. And then I, I, I run into a stint of, um, just bad days health wise. And I end up calling my administration like, Hey, you know, I, I'm not squared away to ride a fire truck, but, um, can we do light duty? Uh, until I can get, get back healthy. And they, they granted me some light duty and my fire chief at the time that, you know, know, did care to, to have a conversation with me while I was, was in a bed dying. Um, he comes up to me and he's just like, okay, I think it's time for you to find another career. Um, and of course my, my immediate reaction was, why don't you go fuck yourself? Um. 
you know, how dare you, how dare you tell me that, that I'm not cut out for this anymore. And that, that was, that was pride. Um, two days later, um, I was in the doctor's office, you know, kind of dealing with my symptoms and stuff and talked to my gastro and, and he comes in and he's like, Hey man, you might want to think about a different career. Um, I don't, I don't think you're going to have longevity in this, um, with this disease. And that was a, that was a kick in the nuts, man. Um, I left, um, I was driving, bawling my eyes out, um, because I, it, it was a mix of, I, I, I do love this job. Um, but also what else do I do? Like, what else do I have to offer besides being a firefighter? Um, it was my identity and, um, I reached in my glove compartment. Um, I pulled out my, my, my pistol and I sat there for about 45 minutes, uh, cycling round after round out of the magazine into my hand and back in and, uh, it was, uh, it was a decision time and, uh, I, I, I wanted to, I didn't know where else to go. And, uh, fortunately I had, I had a picture of my family sitting on my dash and I was like, you know what, um, this is, this is not what they deserved after everything that I put them through with them standing beside me. You know, my, my, my wife's a saint, man. Uh, you know, it was a morning I was on my way to work and the gas station that I normally stopped at didn't make, you know, it was closed that morning and, and I didn't make it to a bathroom and ended up, you know, crapping all over myself in my truck and I, and I, and I drive, drive home and jump in the shower, try not to be late for work. And, and, and it's, it's six o'clock in the morning and the woman's out there scrubbing shit out of my seats. Um, you know, it, it's, so I sat there and I was like, you know, they, they don't, they don't deserve this. They don't deserve me to, they stood by me. They went through this and, and for me to take myself out now is not, it's not fair to them. Um, and I picked up the phone and called one of my, my coworkers that, uh, he's one of my brothers. I, lo I, I love him like a brother. And, uh, I was like, dude, I'm, I'm in a bad way. And he's like, just stay where you're at. I'll be right there. And he comes and picks me up and, you know, we, we, we hang out and, you know, we talk and, and, we, and we cry. And, oh, this dude is, is, is tough as fucking nails, man. Um, he's a machine. He, he's not human. Um, and he started opening up a little bit about his life and, and some things he was dealing with and, um, it was a look behind the curtain of like, oh shit, dude. Like even, even the hardest dude I know is, is, is not doing okay. Um, and we were able to, uh, you know, kind of get some, get some conversation going and kind of got back on the straight narrow, uh, got a rebirth and then, uh, 2020 hit, um, well, back up. So I, I started, um, uh, because of that, 
realization that I have nothing to offer. Uh, I remember, you know, I do have a skill set that I, I learned growing up and I decided to start a construction business. Uh, it started out as handyman work and, uh, due to demand rapidly turned into a full blown construction business. So to, to went from small jobs here and there, decks to built houses. Um, started swinging a hammer again and opened this business with a mindset of it'll give me an opportunity to be home more, uh, which was the dumbest thing I could have thought because, uh, when, when I was responsible for, uh, making sure the, the deadlines were met, it, it meant that I was there till nine, 10 o'clock at night. Uh, as far as my, my finances, my family were concerned, uh, it, 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 it did more than pay the bills, uh, but it consumed my entire life. Uh, it made it to where, you know, I couldn't focus at work, um, because I was, I was doing quotes. I was having phone calls, uh, customers calling me saying, oh, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. Well, I can't be out there till tomorrow. Um, I was so-and-so didn't show up today. Like, well, I can't handle that right now. I'll make some phone calls, but you know, I'll, I'll have to deal with it tomorrow. Um, my youngest daughter was born, uh, January of 2020. Um, she was a, she was a surprise. Um, that in itself had its own, uh, chaos that came with it, uh, because the last thing I needed at that moment was another mouth to feed. Um, you know, I, it, I had a conversation with my wife, which, you know, put some strain on us. Um, cause as soon as we found out she was pregnant, the first thing that came to my mind was adoption. Um, and, and I sat there and told this woman who's carrying a child that I don't want it, that, uh, She's going to carry it. Then we're going to get rid of it. Um, and that started our strain, uh, between the two of us. And, um, then the, the strain of, of work and all that stuff. And then COVID hit, um, and when COVID hit, like everybody, um, it, it brought its own, uh, box of surprises. Um, from an administrative standpoint, I understand why they did what they did. Uh, but they were, they were extremely overbearing on us. Um, it was 24 hour masking, you know, don't can't eat together. Can't sleep to, you know, can't sleep in the same room, had building partitions, you know, you had to, had to eat in separate rooms and, and, and shit like that. Um, it seemed like the, the main focus was on COVID. Yeah. Um, and it, when it started, like everybody else dealt with, you know, oh, this will be a couple months. This will be whatever that, that we're, we're a year, year and a half into it. Um, and I'm on the phone every day with, with some of the strongest guys I know that I, that I'm that I'm concerned that they're going to go home and blow their head off. Um, 
because where I was, where I'm at, we, we were getting, we were getting hammered hard with disciplinary, disciplinary actions and threatened with our jobs, threatened with our livelihoods, um, over, over a piece of fabric that, you know, you look back on it now from 20, you know, the end of 2023, that all of that was for nothing anyways. Um, and, uh, I remember we were, you know, really struggling to have a desire to, to go to work. Um, it was a hostile work environment. Everybody was at each other's throats and it was this constant feeling of looking over your shoulder of what will I get in trouble for today? Um, in that whole mix of all that, the home life, the, the work life, um, I got hit with my call that was my, my rock in the bucket. Um, and that rock, uh, overfilled my bucket and it, it, it sent me over the edge. Um, and I, I was, I was not doing fantastic. Um, and I got put on some, uh, antidepressants and uh, I started getting the SIs with the antidepressants and I was working out one day and I, I was just in a bad spot and I decided, Hey, I'm, I'm going to do this again. Um, strung up a jump rope and, uh, was, was in the midst of hanging myself, uh, when my officer walked in to get me to go to the food store. Um, uh, you know, we, it, it, it was not a good moment. Um, he handled it as best as he could. Um, he was like, Hey, you know, can you get help? And I said, yeah, I got a therapist that I can call. And, uh, he, he called, called home and, and got my, got my weapons taken and, and hid it. And I went to my therapist and. Um, I, I think he got kind of shit on for the way he handled it. I think he handled it fine. Um, but I, when I get back to work, uh, that fire chief is waiting for me and, uh, he's like, Hey man, we need to talk. And, uh, he's like, you know, how did, how did we get here? And I was like, do you want the honest answer or do you want what you want to hear? And, uh, he's like, I want the honest answer. Uh, and I told him straight up, I was like, you know, uh, the last year and a half since COVID has hit, like you did this, this place has been hell. Um, we're threatened with our, our livelihoods. Uh, every day we come to work, we're at a, at a height point of anxiety because of fear of, of repercussions of, of not wearing a piece of fabric over our face. Um, you know, you, you're holding us to a standard of how we look, how we appear, both being masked up and in the right uniforms and all this other shit I said, but I honestly feel like I can get on that fire truck out there and, and go out and do something that will cost my, my coworkers or a citizen, their life. And I would not be reprimanded 
near as harshly as if I wore the wrong color shirt or if I didn't have my mask on. You know, I said, you're so caught up on people, you know, your fear. And I understand it. I don't want to be in your position. I said, but you're worried about losing somebody to, to fucking COVID. You need to be worried about the, the majority of people that are probably more of a risk of going home and blowing their fucking head off. And, uh, I said, you asked, so I told you that's, that's where we're at. And I'm not the only one that feels this way. Um, so he, he kind of was like, you know, gave me some answers and or some, some, some political answers and which I understand. And like I said, I, I'm not faulting the guy. I don't want to be in his position either. He has bosses. He has town managers. He has people he has to answer for that aren't living in a firehouse. Um, but I, I gave him the, the example of working dog. He, he, he was a dog guy. And uh, I said, you got working dogs. I said, if you take your working dogs and you put them in a cage for 90% of their lives and, and, and expect them to perform that 10%, they're not going to do it. They're going to be problematic. Am I right? Or am I wrong? And he was like, no, you're right. You got, you got to let them out and you got to let them work. I said, well, that's what you're doing to us. You're taking type A dudes and ladies that, that are working dogs and you're, you're caging them up. And, um, and then you're surprised when we start doing stupid shit and, uh, start, start fighting back and, and being aggressive and, and saying and doing things that you don't you don't like, we're not, we're not following an order. Um, and you know, he, he wasn't with us long after that. Um, but there was, I, I do genuinely feel like there was a genuine shift, um, after that, of some, some lightning of some, you know, letting the leash off a little bit. Um, and, and I do feel like that conversation did benefit, um, so, you know, I, all that to say, you know, that, that all affected, uh, that all affected my home life. Um, Hey guys, quick break right here, just to check in and thank each of you for listening to the show. Your support has been paramount and I appreciate all of you. I have one request though. I need you to share the show with everyone, you know. Help me get the word out and spread these stories as far and as wide as we can. While you're at it, please leave a review of the show wherever you happen to listen. Feel free to reach out to me at any time to share your story, to talk, or to pass on suggestions. Let's get on with the rest of the show. I was drinking a lot. Um, you know, I was working, working construction, finished my day off with a sixer. Um, you know, then go home and hit the bourbon, get up, do it, do it again the next day. Uh, that call, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, that particular call was a, uh, a young lady was, was, was hit by a train. Um, they were, uh, they were, you having sex on the railroad tracks and, you know, we, we were first on scene due to, uh, um, just happen chance of knowing that there was a cut through, um, I got to, got to her first, um, and, and, you know, we'll, we'll, 
we'll get into that here in a minute, but, um, you know, there was some comments made after the fact at the firehouse that, that did not stay in the firehouse. Um, as far as my home life goes, uh, I had moved out. I was living with my brother, um, and through half his chance, uh, she got word that the comments that I made were probably going to cost me my job. And she, I, I was sitting on my tailgate in my truck. I, I was, I was pretty hammered. Um, but she asked me, she's like, what, you know, what did you say? And I, I told her and in, in uh, almost 15 years of knowing this woman. When I told her what came out of my mouth, she looked at me with a, a look of disgust like I'd never seen in my life. And she said, you know, how can, how can something so horrific that be where your mind goes? Um, and I said, you want to know? And I unloaded and I unloaded every, uh, every piece of baggage I've been carrying for my entire career on her that night in that front yard that I, that I had never shared with her. Uh, she went inside and she cried for a couple hours, um, because she couldn't, couldn't fathom why, A, why I would never tell her that or B, what, what I was carrying with me. Um, we had a conversation that, um, was, Hey, you know, you're, you're, you're a problem. Um, her exact words were, if you don't change something, um, uh, your kids are going to hate you like I do. And, um, she said, if you, if you want to be a part of their life, you need to get some help. And I was like, all right. So I, I sought out some help and I, I, I happened to come across this organization called, uh, called Shield and Stripes. Uh, Shield and Stripes is an organization outside of, uh, the Southern Pines area, but they're nationwide, uh, that specifically, uh, works with military and first responders. So it was founded by, uh, uh, pararescuement, uh, SDS guy, um, that had dealt with his own stuff and, and started this organization. And, uh, I came across it and I applied for it and did a phone interview with, the uh, with the cadre there. And they, they deemed that I was a perfect candidate for their program. Um, and they put me on a plane to Phoenix, Arizona and flew me out there for, uh, three weeks in person and then an additional additional 10 weeks after, of uh, telehealth, um, and basically the way the program worked, um, there was eight guys, um, uh, and, and one, one lady with me, um, uh, they were all, uh, military, uh, in, in the, in the higher tier levels and, uh, myself and they, they, they pair us up, um, uh, based on personalities and, and, and how we would jive and, and things like that. And, uh, put us through, uh, physical, uh, training, nutrition training, uh, psychological therapy every day, occupational therapy every day, 
Um, and I, I know we want to dive into that, so I'll really dive into that, uh, in a bit, um, of, of that ins and outs of that program. But, um, you know, it, it, I, I was, I was fortunate to, um, to be selected to go through that program and, uh, I unboxed a lot of stuff, uh, with that therapist. Uh, I, I joked that lady is a saint. Um, uh, I, I joked that she, she took up smoking, um, <laughs> after, after dealing with me, um, uh, because she, uh, she definitely, uh, had her hands full with, with me and, uh, but she, she taught me a lot about perspectives. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, you know, backing up, uh, back to the train wreck, you know, that was, that was really like the first thing that we, we dove into because she, uh, cause that was a, the freshest on my mind and that that's really the incident that, that sent me down this spiral and, uh, you know, I told her. You know, my biggest regret of that whole thing was the fact that we were en route to the, the dispatched location, the, the engine company called, checked on seat first and said, Hey, we can't access from here, um, with it being on the, on the bridge. Um, and I knew that there was a cut through through an apartment complex from a previous call a year ago that I could, I could dip through there and through that apartment complex and it would put us out right there. And, um, I, re- I regretted that decision every day because had I not taken that cut through and we have followed suit, I would not have been there the first one to her when she passed. Um, I came through the train. Uh, I met, uh, the boyfriend first, he was in the fetal position on the ground and, uh, look over and, and she's, uh, amputated from the about mid, mid thigh down and, uh, laying on, on the bridge. Uh, my officer at the time said, Hey, she's, she's deceased. Uh, and I was like, Hey, did you, did you check pulses? And, uh, he's like, no, I did. Uh, so I run over there real quick, uh, when I make contact, whether she's, she's slightly conscious, uh, she turns, turns her eyes towards me and it was like, oh shit, she's still alive. Um, so we start, start slapping tourniquets and, and, and doing what we can, uh, realize she has a junctional hemorrhage that she's bleeding out of start assessing, all right, this is going to take a tremendous amount of time to to figure out a, a system to get her down and off of this bridge. Uh, and, and within moments she was, she was, she was gold. Uh, and I, I got up and I walked over to my, my battalion chief and he's like, he's like, what's up? I said, she's dead. And, uh, he said, are you sure? I said, yeah. Bucking juggler veins hanging out of her neck. I'm pretty sure. And he said, whoa, calm down. You know, uh, boyfriend's right here. And I was in full father of two daughters mode. 
And my response was, no, fuck him. This is his fault. He needs to see it. And, uh, so that started a whole debacle and it was just like, you know, calm down, go, you know, go over there and the night went on. So I'm sitting there explaining this to my therapist and she looks at me, she's like, you're looking at this wrong. You're looking at this all wrong. You're looking at this from the wrong perspective. Um, she said, you know, you're looking at it from how it affected you, which is, which is human nature. She said, but what you're not looking at is had you have not taken that cut through, had you have not been through the first, first one over there, she would have died alone on that bridge, scared, um, and by herself. She said, but because you took that route, you were there and her last moments on this earth were the care and compassion of a complete stranger that was there to, to ease her across that bridge. And, uh, it was like a light switch, man. It was like, holy shit. You know, we, we're, we're real easy to get hyper-focused on all the things that we see and how, you know, I don't want to say the woe is me's, but the woe is me's is like how, how this affected me. Oh. And, you know, to, to elaborate on that a bit more, you know, the, uh, we ended up having to go find some body parts and things like that. I, I was sitting there babysitting a foot when I was called and asked to move my truck. I was driving that day and needed me to go move my truck. And, uh, while I was moving the truck, uh, her family showed up. I was standing there beside a police officer when, uh, they walked up and they were like, Hey, uh, what's going on? We pinged my daughter's phone and this is where it brought us. Uh, so I got the, uh, I got the full, full fledge of, of the family's reaction as well. You know, kind of stuck with me and, and what I expressed to her was, you know, I got two daughters and, and from this day forward, when they're older and they don't come home, this is where my mind's going to go. Um, and you know, that family response dove us into my, my first three, three calls in the fire service, which were, which were Sid's babies. Um, I was, I was very young. Um, I think I didn't have kids. I didn't have kids on the radar and, uh, you know, it was, it was back to back to back, uh, dead babies and you know we did what we we normally do you you clear the call you go back and you eat pulled pork or whatever you're eating for dinner that night and you move on um and it didn't really affect me um or so i thought uh but it actually turned out that when i started having my own kids i i have I have three kids of my own my oldest being nine uh wow. never changed the diaper before in my life uh with all of my kids when they were when they were very young I was, I was completely disconnected from, uh, I wanted nothing to do with them. Uh, I didn't hold them unless I absolutely had to. Uh, I, I was not an affectionate person until they got, you know, to a little bit older, you know, obviously I, I wasn't that big of an asshole, but I, I wasn't a good father. Um, I was not a good partner. I was not a good husband with my kids in their, in their early years. 
And with talking about the family of the train wreck with my therapist and with talking to, uh, talking about those events, you know, she, she was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, you, uh, she said, what stands out to you most about the, the, the kids, the babies. And I was like the family. She's like, yeah, you, you, you created in your mind with your own children that if you weren't emotionally connected to your children, when it happened to them, you would not have that emotional reaction that those, those families had. Um, and, and dude, that was a kick in the gut. Um, you know, that's, that's time. That's time I'll never get back. Um, with my children and, and they won't remember it, but I sure shit will. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, it, it, that is my biggest platform right now when it, as, as an instructor, um, as, as a senior guy is, is when we had these events and, you know, we're, we're fortunate. And I told, you know, we, we had a run of them a couple months ago, you know, it was like back to back to back. And of course I was on all of them and, uh, we had different groups in there. A lot of new guys that had just got hired and, and they they're doing good about bringing in CISDs and, and, and kind of talking about this stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm very open and saying like, Hey, you may not think that what we just did affected you. But I can promise you from, from experience, it did. And y'all are young, y'all are fresh into this. Don't let the mistakes that I made and the mistakes that so many others before us have made be repeated for another generation of firefighters. Um, you know, I, I had a conversation with a coworker one day that was like, I think we talk about shit too much. We talk about shit too much. Mm -hmm. We don't need to talk about it. Wow. Everybody sits around and talks about it. I've been doing this for 30 years. I don't have any problems. I said, you don't have any problems. Should we talk to you and ask your first wife? How about your second wife? What about your third one? How about your kids that don't talk to you? I was like, you may think you don't have any problems, but you do because we, we don't talk about it. And I'm not saying we have to sit around and hug each other and kiss each other and, and, and tug on each other, but a simple like, Hey man. That was pretty shitty. You good? If you're not, don't hesitate to come tell me. You know, I've, I've had my run. Well, I'll sit down and listen to you for whatever you need. Like, we don't have to have a formal setting. We don't have to, you know, kumbaya cry all the time. But, you know, we need to identify that this shit is not normal. Um, and... So fast forwarding now back to the, the program, um, I think one of the, the, the most beneficial things about the program was the downtime. Um, I'm, I'm sitting around with some of the, the hardest dudes on the planet and, um, you know, every night we'd sit around the pool and we, we would talk and, you know, I, I still kind of got my shield up. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I'm listening to these dudes that have done, you know, incredible, incredible things that are, that are sitting there telling you that, 
you know, Hey, I'm, this is how it's affected my home. This is how it's affected my mind. This is how it's affected my children. Um, and every day over those three weeks, you know, a, a barrier would break down a little bit to, to where we're sharing. And it's just like, I, I'm looking at, at these individuals as, as, as you know, superhuman and, and they're sitting there telling me like, dude, you got the hardest job out of all, all of us. Uh, you know, we leave, we leave what we do. Yeah. You drive past it every day. Uh, you relive it every day. We don't deal with kids as much and we don't deal with this. And so then you sit down and it doesn't matter if you're, you're, you're hunting down bad guys or you're, you're riding a fire truck. We all had the common, common thing that the problems that we, we have, we've been told to compartmentalize for the sake of the job. And we most definitely need to compartmentalize things for the sake of the job, but we were never taught how to uncompartmentalize them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's from your, your tier one operator down to your, your newest firefighter. Like we're, yeah, we have to compartmentalize stuff to do our job. We have to put this stuff aside so we can accomplish the tasks. You know, those guys, they, they might have to watch their best friend get shot in the face and step over top of them to, to complete a mission. Um, but that doesn't mean when it's done and over with, you can't, you can't decompartmentalize what you just had to do. Um, and I think that was the, the biggest benefit of, of going and doing was, was the fellowship. Um, you know, so it's, it's a great program again, and it, it's, they're doing life-changing things. Um, and, and it's a completely holistic approach. Um, I don't, uh, it's, there's no medication. There's no, um, you know, it, it's, it's in a clinical setting, but it's not clinical. Um, you, you, you wake up, uh, your, your breakfast is there for you. So you don't have to deal with that. You go and you, you get after it in the weight room for two hours with some of the best, um, exercise physiologists in the world that are, that are training you how to work out, um, and work out properly. Um, then you leave from there and, and, and you go directly into physical therapy with, again, some of the, the best physical therapists in the world. Um, I won't say, you know, who's there with us in the facility we're, we're in, but I can, I can tell you, you see them on TV every Sunday. Um, and, and they're, they're beside you. Um, and you're learning from the same exercise physiologists that are, that are working with them. You have the same physical therapist that's working on them is working on you. Uh, but then you go from there. And you don't leave the facility. You just go into an office and, you, and your therapist is sitting there. And, you know, there was days that we sat there and talked about nothing, just life and pets and animals. And, and there, 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 there was days that I was in there for three and a half hours crying my eyes out um, about shit that, you know, I had as a child that had nothing to do with the job. 
that I just didn't know how to get rid of because I grew up in a, in a gruff blue collar world and, you know, talk about how hard it, how difficult it is to be a man, like, and and the expectations of of just being a male, um, and, and how those are, are already weighing down on us. And then you throw the extra shit in there. Um, but then you, you know, you, you leave there, you go place a ping pong with, with one of your, your cohort mates and jump into some occupational therapy and learn how, um, I'm really bad at setting alarms and going to sleep and not turning my phone off and not turning my TV off. And, uh, you know, she sits there and asks the table, how much caffeine you have a day. And you know, I, I have thousand plus milligrams and your yeah. eyes get real big and that, that, ca- that caffeine question has me a little triggered so let's uh let's tread lightly yeah, yeah, it's like she's like you you know the the recommended amount is no more than 300 and i'm like yeah that's the first cup right it's, that's you know what about what about the the 9 p.m cup of, right. of coffee that i need before i go to bed you know uh i don't know why i everything hurts and I can't sleep and, uh, but you know, they, they, they educate you on how to basically re enter life, um, how to eat, how to sleep, how to schedule, how to work out, how to rest more importantly, how to rest. Um, you know, I've been doing fitness. I, I, I have, you know, personal trainer certifications. I have crossfit certifications and, and you know it's all about the the function there's there's not much information on the rest and how mm-hmm. important the rest part of, of of fitness is and you know you you get education on that you have one of the the, the best exercise physiologists in the world sitting there with a slideshow showing you how how uh, you should lift you should condition and you should sleep and you should rest uh, you know, they, they brought in people, um, uh, that taught you how to breathe, how to do mm-hmm. web, web Hoff stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, like I said, most importantly, like all of that stuff is fantastic. And all of that stuff has, has helped and given me the tools moving forward in, in my day to day, but the relationships, um, you know, I, I got paired up the, the, the first morning I got there, I, I was, I was with a guy and I, I won't, I won't say his name, but, uh, mm-hmm. both of our hotel rooms that we were staying at were, were flooded. Mm-hmm. And so we couldn't get oh. into our room uh, that, that afternoon we flew into Phoenix and, uh, so we ended up being stuck in the lobby for about four hours and within four hours of, of, of just bullshit with one another, like, it's like. I've known this dude my whole life. Uh, he, he's my long lost brother. And, uh, to this day, we, we talk to each other every single day. I mean, it may be sending people stupid, sh- each other stupid shit on Instagram, but we have some sort of, you know, communication every day. Um, uh, you know, it, I'll, I'll go down and visit him. He'll come up and visit me. Um, and you know, there, there's four or five. Um, that are local actually to me, just because of where I live and how it is with that community. Um, 
they, they're all pretty local to me. He, he's, he's not, but the other ones are, and we still, still stay in touch, you know, almost two years later. Oh, but then, you know, the resources that came out of that, uh, I actually ended up, uh, playing a golf tournament, one of their, one of their golf tournaments, uh, that they do as a fundraiser. And, uh, I met an, another, another individual, um, uh, through the program that that's, that's still part of, of that community and still part of the, the military community. And we're sitting there golfing and we're just hitting off, uh, stay in communication, get, you know, exchange contacts and then, then become golfing buddies and we'd, we'd meet up and golf and then, uh, here I am, you know, sitting on a golf course, you know, drinking and, and talking to this guy about the shit that's going on in my home life. And he's, he's sitting there telling me like, Hey man, like I've been through that already. Uh, here's how I can help you. And, and on paper, you know, the, the, the two of us are like the, the most degenerate people you wouldn't want to go get advice from. Um, and this, this guy single, single handedly, I, I, I give him responsibility for, for saving my relationship, um, because, you know, he, he was calling me once or twice a day, you know, coaching me and helping me and checking in on me, not only on my, my mental state, my, my reintegration, but also like what I was doing at home and, and sharing things that he did and, you know, mistakes that he made and, 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 you know, this, this, this never would have happened without those chain of events, um, coming from that organization. And, uh, you know, I, I, I found some homies, mm -hmm. uh, that are a lot like me. And, and, you know, I got some guys I work with at the fire department that are a lot like me, but I mean, these two individuals, they're, they're me. Um, it, they're the only two people, you know, outside of my family that I, I can truly feel like I can be myself with because they're, they're going to do it exactly the same way I am. And they're going to give it right back to me. And, um, so I, that was probably just a really long tangent, but you know, that, that program and, and, and being fortunate enough to get accepted in that program, it, it single-handedly changed my life. Um, it gave me the tools. That's the reason we're sitting here talking today. Um, you know, when I, when I came back, life went right back to where life was. Um, I was in this three week utopia of every, all of my needs being met, no responsibility other than to wake up and go, go work out and talk. Yeah. And then I, yeah. I, I land back in Raleigh and it's, oh yeah, life, life still, life is still life. Work is still work. Um, and then, you know, shortly thereafter, you know, earlier this year, it was just like, bam, 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 bam. The black cloud is back. Hmm. And it was call after call after call. And it was all kids. They were all traumatic. 
and um, I was on every one of them. Um, you know, we did the CISDs, and the first one, you know, I'm the 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 gentleman that came in to do the CISD, I kind of was like, "Hey, man, this is kind of the luck that I get." Hmm. And uh, then by the third one, when I'm sitting in all three, by the third one, he's like, "Dude, you're not lying." And then the fifth one rolls around and it's like, dude, are you okay? Are you good? And I was, I was able to say, yeah, I am good. Um, I have the tools. Um, I have the, the steps. I, I know what I need to do to make sure I don't fall back down that rabbit hole. Right. And um, had, that program not taking place. I don't, I don't think that would have been that case. Um, I remember a phone call with, with one of my, my closest individual friends, uh, the one that picked me up on the side of the road. I, I remember after that last call, um, well, but I mean, before that last call, when we're pulling up to the call, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a paramedic. I'm, I'm pretty decent at medicine. E- even, when I ride a fire truck, even though I'm not allowed to act as a paramedic, um, we're, we're walking up. It's, it's a pediatric cardiac arrest from a vehicle accident. And we got added to the call after the fact. Um, and we're walking up to the ambulance and, and I was working an overtime shift and the captain, uh, that I was working for was like, buddy, I, I hate to do it. I know it's been a rough couple of weeks, but I, I need you back there. And I was like, let's fucking go, dude. This is our job. We'll deal with it later. Like, let's let's get to work and you know, jump in the back and they they hand us the kid and and we get to work and uh, start working all the way in. And uh, the the outcome was was less than favorable, but um, you know, fortunately, the second incident in that series of five, um, a couple weeks. Uh, it's been about two months ago now. He, the the kid that I thought for sure when I handed him over to the operating room was not going to live, walked into my fire station with uh, with his family to to show appreciation for the things that happened that night. Um, I have actually stayed in contact with him and his mom, and uh, through through the the recovery. Um, so that was a good win in all of those those losses, but, um, you know, that phone call after that fifth one, after the, the one and, and my, my buddy's like, man, I wish I could say, I know what you're going through. He's like, but I don't, right. None of right. us, n- none of us that work in our organization know what you're going through because nobody has had to deal with the shit that you've had to deal with. Um, everybody has their individuals, but you have all of them. Um, and that's not an exaggeration. Uh, I wish it was, and uh, but again, I I've learned not to wear it as a as a badge of you know, hey, hey here's my trauma. It, it's uh, I turn it around to, hey, this is how this is how you don't end up like I did. Um, you know, I you can't see me, but if you if you look at me, I'm you know pretty much from my neck down to my ankles. Um, I'm, I'm covered in tattoos. Some of them pretty shitty. 
done myself um, a lot of them. Uh, and, uh, you know, I got the, I got the gauges in my ears. I got the shaggy hair. Um, I, I'm not exactly your, your model firefighter you want sitting on your, uh, your interview panel or your, your public uh, PIO. But I, I joke, I say this wasn't a, uh, this wasn't a fashion statement. This was a cry for help. Hmm. Um, but, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm at a good place, thankfully, because of the support of others and because of that program. Um, and I just want to, I want to pay it forward. I still work with them. Uh, some we're, we're doing some, some fundraisers coming up to, to raise some money to get, um, to get more people out there. Uh, it costs about 40 to $50,000 an athlete to, to go after that, that program. Um, it's a hundred percent nonprofit done by, uh, donations and, and, and generosity and fundraising, uh, a lot of golf tournaments, sporting clays, softball mm-hmm. tournaments, you, you need car shows. They're, they're getting money wherever they can. And, um, uh, you know, getting, firefighters, police officers, and, and, and operators, the help that they need to, to understand, A, it's, it's, it's normal. It's normal to feel this way. Um, what's not normal is what you've been told to do, and that's shut up about it. Um, and it, that, that's, where I, that's my mission now. Like I, I'm still going to ride a fire truck. I'm going to give it every, everything I got every day I go. Um, I, I am... I'm a, I'm a hard charger to a fault. Uh, I think sometimes I expect a little too much out of others um, and out of myself. And I'm going to continue to do that. But, you know, my, my mission is, is also to, to help others um, because of all that, and the, the, the therapy and things like that. I did close down my company. I stopped swinging a hammer uh, to allow myself to be home more. Um, my my wife's a paramedic now, so I'm I'm getting to. Uh, she's working full time. I'm I'm with my kids uh, on my days off. Um, figuring out how to be a dad. Nine years into this, uh, my my oldest is a saint. She is uh, my saving grace because she is mature way well beyond her years and and keeps me grounded and, and teaches me how I'm supposed to do hair and <laughs> uh, dress dress my my youngest daughter my, my, my son he's easy going he's he's a little on the spectrum and you know he, he's Aren't easy to, to deal with yeah <laughs> yeah it, i mean you can see my studio it, it's there there's a touch of the tism in this okay? <laughs> you know <laughs> but they uh you know i'm, I'm home and, and i still need the money so i i am teaching um on my days off and you know, I, I'm fortunate that I can take my passion for the job um, and that go-getter that, hey, here, we're, we're going to get shit done, but then have that the platform to be able to say, hey, guys, these are some things that I wish somebody told me when I started. Right. Um, that, you know, are going to benefit you just as much, if not more, than, than how we're going to carry a fucking ladder. Um, these things are important, but you'll figure it out that for yourself. Um, you need to figure this out for yourself, but here's some tools to do it. Just yeah. like we're, we're, there's 13 different ways to force a door. Here, here's a couple ways to, to help yourself. Yeah, that's a, 
that program, I had never heard of it before you, you mentioned it when we talked and, and it's a, that's a hell of a program. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I stand by it. Um, like I said, it, it's, they got a website. Um, if, if, you know, this is a plug for them. This is a shameless plug. Um, they got a website, Shields and Stripes. You can Google it. Um, Shields and Stripes, that'll work. Uh, if you go to their website, it, it gets an outline, and then there, there's videos. You'll see my ugly mug up there. Uh, <laughs> telling Each individual um, that's been through the program has a short little stint telling their story, what brought them there and what came out of it. Um, you'll see some some footage of, of some things that take place and um, – some opportunities that come while you're out there and, and going through the program. And it's big deal to me. I want to talk a little bit about that perspective, that change of pr- perspective that you had. And, and I know we're coming up on a, on a drop, drop dead time here because you got to go to your wife's graduation. Um, but real quick, <clears throat> early on year and a half ago, two years ago, when I started this show, one of the first guys I interviewed was Robert and he's a, he's from an organization called skulls for hope. I don't know if you've heard of him. I, well, I had it on, but I took yeah, it off this that's morning. That's what I keep playing with, yep. and you keep seeing me fidget with because it's one of the things. I took it off because yep. I keep banging on the table, but I fidget with it, and I kind of use it like a rosary at times, uh, which is funny for me to say because I'm an atheist. So I, it's, it's like my atheist yep. rosary. Uh, but he he talks about that. He talks about switching that narrative. Um, he had he had a pediatric death early in his career, and it, it really affected him and, and his and kind of really fueled his alcoholism and he's, he's open about it and and I'm comfortable talking about it in his, in his place. But he talks about flipping that narrative and going, why the fuck did I have to do that to I'm, I was blessed to be there to help them make that, that transition basically. And without me, who was going to be there? And so to hear you say it is, is it kind of wraps it up because it, it, it is, there is that, there is that switch that you kind of think about, you know, who would have been there? Right. And yeah, it's a heavy burden to carry, but if we flip that a little bit and go, but I was there and they had a little more peace at the end of their life. Okay. I can, that's a, that's a much better way of thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not only calls that have come after the fact, but being able to look back at, at previous, you know, you, you get the opportunity to, to have a, a, a second chance at some of those calls to understand that, Hey, at the end of the day, I don't control the outcome. I do my best to try to change the outcome, but fate controls that outcome, not me. Um, and let me look at the things not, I mean, we're, we're type a man, like we're type a, we want to be perfect at everything we do. So the first thing we do is break down all the shit we think we did wrong. Uh, on every call we run and what we could have done different and what we could have done better. And we, we forget to look at the shit we did. Right. Yeah. Um, and when you start looking back at him and say, all right, these are the things I did. Right. You know, obviously if you do stuff like super wrong, like maybe, right. maybe definitely want to re- readdress yeah. that, but yeah. we're, you know, we're, we're a little hard on ourselves on some stuff that we, we really didn't do that wrong, but we, well, maybe if I had done this, I could have saved 0.3 milliseconds and da 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 da. Yeah, and, that, and that's a, something that my therapist reframed for me. And she she said, you know, I said something about, well, they died when, you know, it was kind of 
my responsibility about death. And she said, well, wait a second. What, what did you do? And I said, well, and I explained to her my job. And she said, so you did your job, right? And I said, yeah, she was, but you don't decide life and death. You just decide to do your job to the best of your ability. And if you, if you fail at your job, beat yourself up for failing at your job, not for death that's not decided by you. But if you're doing your job, that's, that's the best you can do. So, all right. So I know you got to get out of here pretty soon and we'll make a kind of a rough transition. And I apologize for that, but let's get to those last two questions. Um, what is your everyday carry? Uh, everyday carry. Well, uh, you know, I, I have a responsibility for my children. Um, so I, and, and my own self. So I, I do carry, a. uh, SIG 320 pistol with me everywhere. I carry my wallet. Um, I carry my Skull for Hope bracelet. Um, I normally have two, but I broke one the other day. And um, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've I, I'm pretty rough on them. Um, and then uh, I, I carry um, I carry my pencils uh, and, and a sketchbook. Uh, I'm an artist, um, and everywhere I go, whether it's in my pocket, in my truck, or in my book bag. Um, I, I have um, one or two pencils and a small sketchbook that I can uh, just sit back and, and disappear into uh, nowhere and just draw. Tell me, tell me about that that picture right over your left shoulder. Uh, the turnpike troubadours. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, they can't. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> that's why that's yeah. I saw. And it's like, well, shit, we got the same background. That was from, that was the poster from, from a uh, DC show. Yeah. They, they came, they came down here, uh, earlier this year and I paid, I paid $40 for a piece of paper. Cause I was like, I never thought they were coming back. So did I, I paid, I paid 40 and I couldn't figure out for the life of me. I couldn't figure out where the fuck that $40 charge had come from. And I was like, where is that? Where is that? Where is that? And like a couple of days later, I'm like, Oh, you dumbass! It's the poster. You bought. Yeah, that was, that was killer, man. Great show. I love some turnpike. I love reckless. They had, they had reckless with them when they yeah. came to us. Yeah. Um, two bands that I missed, um, I, you know, the only other one I wish would come back would be cross Canadian, but I don't, yeah, I don't ragweed. So I don't think we're going to get some ragweed back. The one next to it is Dropkick Murphy's poster. Yeah, and we went up to Boston for St. Patrick's Day, and it was it was Turnpike opening for Dropkick Murphy. Oh shit, that's a that was the show, dude. That's a party right there. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a hell of and and I was on the fringes of the mosh pit and I was like, oh shit, I'm in the wrong spot. I'm 54 years old. I shouldn't be here. <laughs> All right. So, what about a book? What 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 do you read? What, what what's a book you have to offer some uh, the audience? Um. Well, one that uh, you can kind of see it over there on my my tattoo booth. Uh, Doctor David Griffin. Yeah. Uh, from uh, City Charleston. Yeah. Uh, his tattoos and trauma book. Tattoos and trauma. Um, yeah. Yeah, the great book. Um, and then uh probably one of the best books I've read uh is is a book called uh, Think Again. And I can't think of the author right okay. off the top of my head. Um let me look at I have it right here. I, I do audio books because I'm kind of dumb. And, uh, but I'm on the road a lot and, and driving and, um, so I, audio books are, if I'm on a long bike ride or something right. like that, I'll, I'll turn an audio book on, but it is, uh, 
called Think Again by Oh, where in the hell? Adam Grant. Okay. All right. Think again by Adam Grant. Cool. I will check uh, it out. Yeah, it's, it's all about um, perspectives and, you know, I don't know everything. Yeah, none of, <laughs> none of us do. None of us do, brother. Yeah. Hey, um, if you're interested, and this is a shameless plug, go check out episode 25 of, of this show, and that's with uh, Dr. David Griffin. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've heard it. Yeah, heard he's it. a he's about. a fascinating individual, and talk about someone who's been through the shit. That guy went through the shit, and and then yeah. he went through the shit after he went through the shit, and now he's on the he's on the that positive side of it. He's a he's one of the guys that that are wearing a white helmet, and he's 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 making a difference. Absolutely, absolutely, so, yeah. yeah, great. That's actually, I think, I think that's the episode where he talks about that book where, where I yeah. find it. Yeah. Oh, very cool, yeah. man. All right. Well, listen, I know you got to go. Go congratulate your wife on her graduation. Uh, pass that on for me and enjoy the rest of your day, my friend. Yes, sir. You have a good evening. All right. Take Thank care. Thank And we're out. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com, for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Things We All Carry. Head over to the website, thethingsweallcarry.com for show notes, resources, and to sign up for the newsletter. Until next week, take care of yourselves and remember to check in on each other.